How come you only have one microphone? <laughs> no, it, but it goes both ways. We're taping it. We're doing like a dual taping is what we're doing. We love the quality of this. The quality oh, of this is really good. Dink. Yeah. It's, I, I, it's like a hack from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's my good friend Joy Behar. And producer Nancy Wyatt and I brought two sets of microphones to capture all of her joyness backstage at The View at ABC Studios in New York City. That is one witty woman. Yo, 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 yo. This is Nancy Giles on The Giles Files. And here with me in the studio is my producer Nancy Wyatt. Yo, say hi, Nancy Wyatt. Right in tune with my ukulele. Uh, Abed in both the Washington Post and the New York Times recently basically saying, hey, Obamas, don't you make enough money? Shouldn't you be donating some of your money instead of taking big money for speaking engagements? Uh Which really bugged the H out of me. What about you? Well, I agree with that. In fact, they should pay that man as much money as they can afford to pay him because he has actually something to say. He ran this country uh, like clockwork. I mean, look at the difference. In 100 days, he's practically tearing the Constitution apart. Unbelievable. This guy. And Obama, no drama, Obama... Every day it's drama with Trump. So, um, and what, you know what? Only Republicans are allowed to make money? What is that about? I think the quote was, why does he need that money? Hasn't he got enough? One time I interviewed Larry Kramer, and he was going off on Elizabeth Taylor. And I said to him, why are you attacking Elizabeth Taylor? She's on your side. And he said, because she is reachable. If you go after, you know, a homophobe, you can never get through to them. And I think that that's the position that the Times is trying to make in this rather clunky way that he has to set an example because you're not going to have an example set by the Trump people. So that's where they're going. But I don't agree. I still don't agree. With I know. It. Me neither. Yeah. Why do he, like, what does he like, have It's to? like, why can't the black guy make some money? Thank you, Joy. <laughs> I love your take on on politics, on everything. Let me just throw a couple of names and you tell me what comes to mind. Sean Spicer. Oh, I'm starting to feel a little sorry for Spicer. I was thinking about how SNL makes mincemeat out of him. And Melissa McCarthy, how funny is she? There's a girl who, when she was over obese, was funny, and then she lost weight, and she's still funny. Doesn't always work. Right, I know. They always say, like, the pretty women can't be as funny. But, you know, the thing about Sean Spicer being played by Melissa McCarthy, apparently Trump is infuriated that Spicer's being played by a woman, which I find an extra... Uh, edge of like sexistness. That's a bad word. Well, that makes sense that he would be upset by that because I I noticed back in the day um, other comedians, male comedians would make fun of his hair and he, he took it in stride. But when I did it, he wrote in his book that I had no talent. So I think that he, he's particularly sensitive to what women say. Well, not to go all with politics, but I'm dying to know from a woman's point of view, a smart woman, what's your take on Melania Trump? Um, well, you know, at, at first I felt a little sorry for her, but now I, I don't feel sorry for her anymore. It's like, why do I have to pay uh, with the rest of this city a million dollars a day because she doesn't want to sleep with Trump? <laughs> that's, that's, that's not fair. And, 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 and that turns out to be $30 million a month. That's a high-rent apartment. I'm sorry. <laughs> No. I know, that hurts. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now I hear she's moving to Washington, so that could save us a few bucks, and not to mention the tie-ups in the traffic. Um, but, you know, she bought into this. Um, she, she was a, a poor girl probably in Slovenia, so she was gorgeous, and she still is, and, uh, you know, is sweet probably and a nice, I don't know, I don't know her. I, inter- I had her on my other show on HLN one time. What was the feel? Well, she was selling her jewelry, on that show, and she gave me a watch, which I, I don't even know where it is anymore. 
I'm sure it's collectible. I should have hung on to it. But I didn't care for her at that time because she defended his birther. Uh, what? He, she she did? the birther lie, yes, on my show. It's on tape. And so I thought, well, she's right in his camp. So I don't feel sorry for her. And she said I do, and now she did. Yes. I don't want to sit here. Yes. I don't yes. want to sit here. Do you feel justified with what happened to Bill O'Reilly that you and Whoopi got up and walked off the show that day? Is that something you can talk about? Sure, karma's a bitch. Ah! Um, you know, I you know the problem with uh, revenge is that it doesn't happen fast enough. So I had to wait so many years to see this debacle at Fox, but it still was quite um, uh, you know satisfying. I happen to know that Nixon is really your favorite of all of them he because is. you have a tattoo of him on he your back. He is. Yes, he you does. You have a tattoo on your back? Which I've yes. tried to get him to disrobe, but he won't do it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Joy, come back to me to my place later and I'll show it to you. What's up with you and Roger Stone and that, you know, do you want to see my tattoo? Um, should Steve be worried? What's going on? Oh, please. I mean, I know women will go for anything, but this is over the top. Um, he, um... He was funny, I guess. The reason that I didn't hate him, okay. I've seen Get Me Roger Stone, the documentary. If you should watch that on Netflix because it basically explains how we got from there to here. Okay. There is a lot, continuous line from him and that, uh, that guy from Angels in America. What's his name? Oh, Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn is in there with him and Trump. Steve Bannon and Trump. They're all in that category, and they got the control of the country, you know, and it's pretty disgusting. But the only reason he, I didn't really feel hateful towards him is at least he admits he's a sleazeball. Okay, and that goes a long way. Well, it goes a long way, but I still don't forgive him. No, at least, but somehow admitting one's a sleazeball, I guess, shows that they have a sense of humor. You have a very big platform being on television, and I'm wondering what you think about using that platform. Uh, I'm thinking of Jimmy Kimmel recently, talking about his, his baby and, and worrying about people who don't have health care. Yeah, a lot of people feel that they're not responsible for other people's health care. You know, I, they, they really do believe that. And then it happens to them. Remember, remember Nancy Reagan, they were against stem cell That's right. Until her husband got Alzheimer's. Then she was all, all about it. So they need to empathize and understand it. And that personal moment that he shared was powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, maybe uh, if I get Alzheimer's, I'll come out and say I have it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> No politician in history, and I say this with great surety, has been treated worse or more unfairly. Have you met him? Many times. What was your impression even before this happened? Well, I thought he was uh, a big blowhard even then, I mean, you know, and egocentric. And it was on The View that he actually made the now infamous statement. If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. You know? <laughs> Stop it. Oh, it's so weird. And I said to him, who are you, Woody Allen? <laughs> and he started laughing. He thought that was funny. Mr. President-elect, go ahead. Can you say categorically, question. Don't Mr. President-elect, can you give us a question? Don't be You're rude. Attacking us. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. Can you no, give I'm not going to give you a question. I'm you, not going to give you a can question. You can you Crazy. You are fake news. Sir. For thinking. Oh, wait. He's not thinking. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find. Oh, he's crazy. The 30,000 emails. Because Clinton got more votes. It's true. 
Everybody loves me. Loves me. They love me. I love them. And you know what? I've been very successful. So sad. Can't sleep. So he's up tweeting smack talk. Take a look at some of the things written about wiretapping and eavesdropping. Exclamation points. And huge bigly letters too. And don't forget, when I say wiretap, those words were in quotes. That really covers, because wiretapping is pretty old-fashioned stuff. Worry. Poor boo, he's crazy with worry. Obamacare is a disaster. The premiums are going up at numbers at as high as a Because Obama still gets bigger crowds than he do. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period. Oh, he's crazy. Gave Russia our intel. If it's possible, would you let me know Am I under investigation? He said, you are not under investigation. His mouth got all foamy. He's a showboat. When he fired James Comey. He's a grandstander. Now Putin's at homey with you. There's no collusion. No collusion. Loco. I love the Mexican people. Mexico. No pagando nada. I'm building a wall. Is he a stupido? I'm building a wall. Says the media is lying, but inside he's crying while he's thinking of who he could sue. Trump is the greatest president ever, and there will never be one like him. I'll probably sue Rosie. They all love me. Let's put it that way. They all love me. Testing, testing. I think this is going to work. I'm sitting here with Alton Dulaney, who is like a walking, talking example of living one's art. Hi, Nancy. We're so excited to have you here in Texas, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's been such a blast. Thank you. So I'm meeting you because of this award-winning gift wrapping that you've done through through 3M. I mean, you won there. What was the, what was yeah, the, the prize? The Scotch brand most gifted wrapper. Uh, contest and it was a ten thousand dollar grand prize for wrapping a number of things including a baby grand piano and that really opened a lot of doors for me uh really just promoting creativity, promoting, you know, encouraging people to pursue their creativity, uh, hopefully inspiring other people. And um, I've created both a lifestyle and a way of life around that. Your whole life can be this way, the way you dress, the way you, the way you, you decorate your home, the, you know, the people you surround yourself with, the way you eat dinner, the way you make love, whatever it is, can be art. By the way, these are authentic sounds of Splendora that we're hearing. There goes a train. Yeah. And I just, I want you to understand the, amb the ambient sound that you're hearing. There goes the train. The train. Yeah. You can't capture what I'm learning about Alton just by hearing his voice. You need to see how he lives his art. And will you talk a little bit about your work at uh, University of Houston? Yeah. And, so. and that very cool space that is your gallery studio office it's yeah. all in one right gallery studio office theater <laughs> mm -hmm. because you are on display there right you are on display and uh, when they were divvying up studios and who got what studios they were uh, opening up a new room and I said hey instead of cutting that into these squares why don't we just shave off the front of that I'll take all the windows so my studio ends up being five foot deep by 25 foot wide 
And again, after years of working in windows on Madison Avenue or Fifth Avenue, I'm used to being in a window and on display. And there I am at the university, artist at work and artwork, both on display. Literally artist in residence and also on stage actively doing his thing. And you can watch it because that's part of the art since he is the art. And again, it's kind of this power that the artist has to claim anything as art. You know, 99 years ago that Marcel Duchamp claimed the urinal as a work of art. And since then he's opened up free reign. We can call anything art, you know, as long as it's the intention is there and the, the assignment, the assignation is there saying that this is art. Isn't that also connected the uh, the urinal that's that's a direct line between that and the gold uh, uh, toilet that's at the Guggenheim right now am I right yeah, am I, I hope yes. I'm saying it all right you are Mauricio <laughs> Cantalan is one of my heroes in the in the modern day art world the bad boy art prankster from Italy who lives in New York City and you know five years ago he had his retirement show at the Guggenheim where he suspended his entire retrospective from the rotunda window so the walls of the Guggenheim were completely blank and his whole collection was just hanging. Five years later, to the month, May 2016, 99 years after Duchamp's introduction of the, the urinal, he introduces the 18 karat gold toilet, functioning toilet, as a piece of public art at the Guggenheim Museum. Have you checked it out? Yes, I, I made the pilgrimage to the Guggenheim. I stood in line for an hour and a half to use the toilet because he says the art is not fully engaged until you're sitting upon it or straddled over it. So I went in. Used it, flushed it, the whole thing. Security guard standing outside, of course, so you don't run, try to run off with the toilet. Oh, man. Uh, but he was inspired by not only Duchamp, but uh, the kind of conspicuous consumption of the 1% and the then uh, presidential candidate who had a penchant for uh, gold-plated accessories. <sighs> yeah, so now we have this gold toilet in New York City, which I, in, in, the title of the piece is America. It's sadly perfect. Yeah, flush. Right. <laughs> Anything is art if an artist says it is. And that's a quote from Henri Robert Marcel Duchamp, who I looked up after Alton mentioned him. He's a 20th century French painter, sculptor, writer, and a conceptual artist. And he did two pieces I love. One was called Fountain, which was a porcelain urinal, and another one called LHOOQ, which was Da Vinci's Mona Lisa with a penciled in mustache and goatee. Dig that. You know the kind of kids who go to jail because they set fire to their parents? <laughs> then they would send them to me to teach them the difference between who and whom. That was the job. <laughs> and I would try to make it relevant. I'd say, whom do you wish to murder, not who? <laughs> then I switched over to elementary school because I figured they don't pack a piece in the third grade. You know, you're scared of them. But they'd send me to like this one of these goody-goody suburban schools where the kids would just snitch on each other all day long. I hate that, don't you? I come from, I'm Italian, we don't fucking snitch. <laughs> Miss Behar, he said F. Miss Behar, he said F. I was like, leave me alone, I'm putting on my mascara here. Well, I was a teacher, English teacher, but um, I was looking for a bigger, bigger room. I mean, you have that one room. I need a bigger room. So you made your students laugh? Was that the beginning no, of knowing? No, no, You don't make them laugh for six months. They're not allowed to see you smile for six months or they, won't, <laughs> they make a living room out of you. So no, no. I was known as a disciplinarian at one school I worked in. Now, I read, though, that you really supported some of your students uh, protesting against the Vietnam War and getting out there and getting into civic activities. Did that get you in trouble? Yes, it got me in big trouble because um, in one school in Rhode Island that I taught at, they could they they... 
They got rid of me after a year. I told them, don't go. Don't go. Just don't Just don't go. Go to Canada. We were close to Canada. We wow. were in Rhode Island. Right. It's just a short ride to Montreal. And that was it. These are high school students? They were high school and junior high, yeah. And then in another school, I was uh, turned, one of the um, students turned me in. Her father was in the Army, and she said I was talking against the military. I wasn't talking against the military. I was talking against the war. Uh, that She's who turned you in? She turned me into the dean, but I didn't get fired there. The dean agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> See? Yeah. I, I, I wanted to get into show business, cause, and I was already, like, you know, in my late 30s at that point, and I had been a teacher, and I just was like, i got to get into show business. You knew that from, from when? Birth, from when I was a child. I was making everybody laugh and carrying on. I was an only child, and they kind of dug it. But a lot of people think they're funny. Right. A lot of people. And so, they aren't, and but you are. Well, a lot of people are, too, but they're to make the transition from the classroom and from your mother's living room onto the stage is a big jump. It, but you knew. You had some sort of a core where you thought, this is this is working. This well, is going to work. I don't think that if I hadn't tr- jumped into the business and tried it, I would have been. I would be a miserable person today. So I encourage all people listening to this to go for it. Try it, because you don't want to be on your deathbed and say, you know, I want to be a comedian. (laughs) I mean, JFK, if you read your history, he had to have Marilyn Monroe, models, Angie Dickinson, a beautiful girl, beautiful actress, you know? But Clinton, he liked a fat ass, and we enjoyed that about him. (laughs) Right? I mean, Monica Lewinsky, who's back in the news now, you know, she was madly in love with him. And I I know why. I know why. Because he used to tell her she looked thin. That is the reason. (laughs) She would go into the Oval Office and he'd say, Monica, did you lose weight? I mean, who wouldn't blow a guy like that? Come on. You had a a job that made money. Of course, you're working at GMA, but while you were doing that, was that when you started doing the stand-up comedy, Moonlighting? Uh, Yeah, I used to moonlight a little bit there, but then I got fired, and then I got... Wait, from GMA? GMA, they fired me. Why? Um, Well, the ratings were down. They figured, get rid of the receptionist. Yeah, run (laughs) (laughs) it! Truthfully, I deserve to be fired. I used to take two-hour lunches to go to see my shrink. In the (laughs) afternoon, we used to have lesbian hour at my desk. So, I mean, I really needed to be fired. But I was shocked anyway that they would dare to do this. And I got divorced, and and so I had no job. And I had nothing. I had to go for it then, you know. So I did. I threw myself into it. And at the time, there weren't that many women still doing comedy, were there? No. Sort of the beginning of... Well, you know what? There's a great story about that. Because down in the village, there was a a club called Comedy U, like Comedy University. Oh, that's the first place I ever did stand-up. Right? Yep. And on Thursday nights, they had women's nights. And so we felt comfortable with the sisterhood. Right. And we were doing great down there. Then we had to graduate to Catch a Rising Star. Right. And that was harder to do. You had to get the male audience a lot. And then you were surrounded by a lot of aggressive male comedians who really couldn't care less what you were saying or doing. And so you made your bones that way. And it was tough. But in those days, we really had to have those punchlines. I don't know that they do that anymore. No, I don't. Well, I think it's different because there are different kinds of venues now where you don't have to have as many, like, jokes and punchlines yeah. and whatnot. Were you inspired by Tony Field and uh, Phyllis Diller? They're two of my favorites. Phyllis and Joan uh, Rivers. I, I knew Phyllis pretty well, and I knew Joan. Tony, unfortunately, is before my time. They, they fought the fight. Those girls, they fought the fight, and nobody was funnier than Tony Fields. I loved her. Do you remember this song she sang called Unperfect? She had this big tent dress, and oh, my God, she was the best. She was fat, and she'd go into the store and say, uh, you know, uh, can I have a size four? You know? (laughs) She may know me from The View. Do you know The View? Well, a lot of people 
would not come on the show because of me. Imagine that, a sweet thing like me. Sarah Palin, for example, would not come on the show. She told Barbara Walters I was too hard on her. Do you know who Sarah is, don't you? Oh, yeah. I said, Sarah, come to New York. We'll shoot some rats in Central Park. We'll look at pictures of Russia at my house. It'll be great. But no, she didn't want to come. How did The View happen? Well, The View, um, well, the story of The View is, a, is a, the Woody Allen uh, phrase, and 98% of success is showing up. So I would just show up everywhere. And one night I was at the Waldorf Astoria doing a benefit for, you know, for Milton Berle's 89th birthday party. Oh, my goodness. And Barbara Walters was in the audience. And so you, that's what you do. You go out, you just show up, show up, show up. And, I mean, I've made mistakes. You know, like, I never invited um, people ahead of time to come and see my act. Oh, my God. I'm doing the same thing now. So I can be you. You, Yeah, because I used to say, oh, I might not be good that night. <laughs> and, then, and then I would be great. Great. And then I would be saying, why didn't I invite these agents? I always thought I was too old to do something. Did you? I, yeah. When I was 30, I thought I was too old. When I was 40, I thought I was too old. Finally... I had to have circumstances that threw me into the arena, that I had to put aside my ego, my preconceptions, my fantasies about being too old, not being good enough. The situation presented itself and there was a desperation that I had to follow. I mean, there I was, 39 years old, without a pot to piss in, you know? Um, There was no money. I mean, my husband was a college professor. My friend of mine said to me, you should get money out of him. I said, where's the money? There is no money. No, there is not. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, so I had to support myself and my, and my kid. As a woman on television, do you feel like shows like The Real Housewives are benefiting women in general or making women look like idiots? I know when I watch certain shows like uh, all the hip-hop shows and I see black girls running around in ridiculous outfits doing ridiculous things and being baby mamas and that being their focus, I feel like as a race we're going down a bad path. What about you? Uh, As a race. As a a race. No. Here's the thing with uh, the white race. It's down a bad path. It's been down a bad path for many, many centuries centuries. So, you know, (laughs) I mean, come on. Most of the misery in the world is caused by Caucasians. Let's tell the truth here. But uh, as but as a gender, let's try. Let me me try to like clean that up. Like what about, you know, women, women on TV? What what are we doing? Um, Well, I think that the housewives thing, I don't watch the housewives. I can barely watch it. I did watch the mob wives and I uh, actually I I actually hosted it one time. You did? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're kind of, they were so funny in a way and crazy and they were attacking each other physically. I was in the <laughs> middle of a fight. So, of a fist yeah. fight? So people say, though, they make Italians look bad. Do you think they do? Do you think movies like The Godfather and whatnot make Italians, put Italians in a bad light? I don't think so because I think that's high art. Not, not the mob wise, but, but The Godfather and Sopranos is, is art. You know, I mean, Every group has bad uh, vibes and good vibes. Right. Every single group. You could find that in anybody, which is why people should not be prejudiced and bigoted, because look in the mirror. This is Office Talk. Nancy Wyatt and Nancy Giles talking about all kinds of things in their office. Office Talk. Sometimes in cars. Office Talk. On park benches. Office Talk. 
I don't know. Yeah, like condom sales, yeah, birth like control, baby's mama. What's the problem? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Wait, that's funny. Baby mama, what's the problem? What's the problem? The backstory. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Yeah. What did you think you're gonna get out of it? <laughs> but more importantly, you should have thought about the baby, because love is not enough. Yes, of course you love the baby, but if you can't feed it. And if you I if you can't think, you can't even inspire yourself. So how are you gonna inspire the kid? I don't think they're thinking that far no, ahead. I, I think it's I almost really, the same as I mean, I don't know, but some of these kids are so young that engage in sex. I feel like it's like yeah. feel the it's the same equivalent of like well this is how it would be for me like really great ice cream when I was that age a really great meal for some of them it's like whoa this is great I don't think they think farther than that I don't know I don't, I don't, know. I don't know either can you imagine. Could you imagine when you go back and think of yourself at 14, 15, and 16, having sex, being in a relationship? I don't even know that you could call it a relationship. Exactly. At that age, doing that, I don't even, I mean, your body isn't even finished developing. I can't even see it at 18. Let me tell you something. I think of the first person I had sex with, I can't even imagine doing it with him. <laughs> that was not, it was a mistake. And by the way, every time in a movie, someone, like, this always bothered me about that movie. Um, what was that Gwyneth Paltrow movie where, uh, that she won the Oscar for? Uh, something about Shakespeare. What was it called? Shakespeare in Love? Love. Yeah. She never had sex or anything like that. And then when she ends up having sex with Shakespeare's brother or whatever, she's like, it's a new world. And everything's perfect. <laughs> I want our podcast listeners, with a, they don't have to get graphic, but... I want to know who out there, when they lost their virginity, it was a new world. Mm. I mean, it was a new world for me, but it was like, really? That's it? With the person I was with, who was not very good. Mine was, mine was with the boy next door. Aww. And he, he was handsome and interesting. His, his family, his father was a professor, and they spent uh, like three or four years in, in uh, Morocco. So they came back speaking French and very, very sophisticated. But... Of course that would be who you were at the first time. A sophisticated son of a professor. No, but... Um, how? It's so dumb to even ask, how was he? I don't even know what I was I don't know. There <laughs> uh, uh, was a tinge of pleasure at the end. But was... No, I, I don't know if I can say this and I'll probably edit it out. But, you know, I you'd studied everything in health class. And there was this little foreskin that the woman has that what covers the cervix. And I remember my health teacher saying it had little holes in it. Well, I found mine. <laughs> it was like, here it is. <laughs> and I thought about keeping it. You thought about keeping the actual? Yeah. Wow. Well, that's our show. Thanks to our guests, the wonderful Joy Behar and artist Alton Dulaney. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt. Produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt. Recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey, and at ABC Studios in New York City. Check out Joy Behar on The View, weekdays on ABC TV. Check your local listings. And look for Alton Dulaney's art and more on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to Lori Hogan, Molly Kessler, and the folks at The View, to Jay Kernis, to Showbiz Studios in New York City, and to our future big-name sponsors. We'll be back soon with another edition of The Giles Files, okay? Okay.